You may be seated. So good to see you guys today. So just uh, let, let's just get it out of the way, right? Dingles? Nobody? Nobody? Okay. All right. Who's the other one, JP? Just kidding. It's the Rams. Yes. It, it, Rams? All right. Not a lot of Los Angeles fans I see today. Bucks. You know, they're not playing. I don't know if you're like aware. The Bucks, not this year. Sorry. The Olympics won't be on during the game because what is happening right now? We should get started. The Olympics won't be on during the game because they're on the same channel. So there is that. Now, we're going to let your life speak today. In this series, Let Your Life Speak, we have been discussing, focused on learning how to listen to what our lives have to say. I'm, I'm not advocating that you talk to yourself like a crazy person. Do you all remember when that was like the sign of crazy? It, it was before AirPods and earbuds, right? Because now everybody talks to themselves and you just can't tell who's right and who's wrong. But here's the point of the series. Our lives have invaluable things to teach us because living the life that God created us to live is in large part about how he created us cooperating with his vision for our lives. Now we have concluded that to learn to listen to our lives speak, we need to ask really good questions. We need to ask ourselves questions, and we've talked about the conscience question, which is, is there attention in my soul that deserves my attention? We've talked about the integrity question. Are you living in and by the truth? Am I being honest with myself, or am I telling myself a lie, something that I want to be true because there is something that I want. And last week we talked about the legacy question. Okay, the legacy question is what story am I created to tell? Now this week we're going to discuss the maturity question. The maturity question. Just like every child wants to be an adult, every soul wants to be mature. And what separates, what separates the mature from the immature? It's not age, right? It's not age. It's wisdom in decision-making. That's what separates the mature from the immature. It's wisdom in decision-making. So the question that we need to ask ourselves when we're facing a decision is this one. The maturity question. What is the wise thing to do? The question is, what is the wise thing to do? Now, Let's just go through some scenarios. When you're feeling low and need a pick-me-up, and you're determined to make it happen for yourself, do you grab a credit card and go on a shopping spree? Do you fix yourself a drink? Do you go for a walk? Or do you take a nap? What's the wise thing for you to do? When you're offered an opportunity for a new job and better pay and a much better title, but taking the job would mean uprooting your family from friends and from grandparents and the great life that you've carved out for yourself right where you are, do you, do you take the job for what it would mean for your career or do you pass on it because of the sacrifices your family would be required to make? 
what's the wise thing to do? Let's say you're fogged in with anger at your spouse and you need to get things settled, but the kids are around. Do you address it immediately with the kids listening? Or do you pull your spouse aside and deal with it privately? Or do you wait for a more opportune time when the fog has lifted and the kids are asleep? What's the wise thing to do? Now, we know that for those of us who fear God, those who trusted in Jesus and are following him, we know that for believers, wisdom is a spiritual matter. For those who fear God, we know that we are talking about exercising God's wisdom in the decision-making promise process. And he has promised to provide it for us. In James chapter 1, verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And what will God do? He will give you wisdom. It will be given to you. God generously provides his wisdom, but we, but we must ask. We must ask. It's his wisdom. But... In keeping with our theme, let's not discount how God uses our lives to reveal his wisdom. Now, before we talk about that, how we gain wisdom from listening to ourselves, I, I want to be sure that we are all on the same page about what wisdom is. We need to all be on the same page about what wisdom is and is not. To begin with, we need to understand, now listen, this is going to sound a little bit odd at first, okay? But just stay with me. Trust me. Hold on, okay? We need to understand that wisdom, as it is communicated in the Bible, is not obedience to God's commands. Is everybody okay? Deep breath. Wisdom is not obedience to God's command. Now, don't get me wrong. It is absolutely the wise thing to do to obey them. But when the Bible talks about the exercise of wisdom, it is not referring to those times when we obey God's word, when we know exactly what he's telling us to do and what we should do. Okay? Now, let, let me illustrate this so we're all on the same page. When I was in seminary, one of my favorite classes was called Biblical Hermeneutics. Okay, now hermeneutics is defined as the art and science of biblical interpretation. It is a, there is a science to it. Okay, there's gleaning truth from context. They're studying it in the original languages, Hebrew in the Old Testament, Greek in the New Testament. There's letting scripture interpret scripture. All of that is science. But there's also an art to understanding Scripture as well. So you can learn to immerse yourself in the story so you can taste the tension, you can feel the hopelessness, and then you can experience the joy of victory that Jesus brings. That is an art form, learning to experience the story. So sound interpretation of Scripture is both art and science. Now, in that class, toward the end of the semester, we were all given an assignment to test our mastery of the subject matter. And when that assignment was given, I will never forget the scene. Okay, There was an audible gasp 
followed by the deafening silence of disbelief. It's unbelievable what we were told to do. We were to write a paper and turn it in four weeks from that day. Four weeks from that day. There were several passages of Scripture that we could choose from. We were to use 12 extra biblical sources. That means we could use the Bible plus 12 things, commentaries. The paper was to be typewritten, single space, and 40 pages. 40, not 38, and not 39, and not 41. It was to be 40 pages. Those were the rules. The boundaries were set, and they weren't going to budge Those were the requirements. But within the rules, we had a whole lot of freedom, right? We could pick the topic that most interested us. We could choose our sources. We could decide if we were going to write it on a computer, type it on a typewriter, or write it longhand and pay someone else to type it for us. We could start working immediately, or we could choose to wait to the very last minute. Now, where the assignment sheet provided very clear guidance and answered some of our questions, we didn't need wisdom, right? It was all crystal clear. The decisions were made for us. We knew how long it was supposed to be. We knew what it was supposed to look like, how many sources we needed, and exactly when it was due. But to complete the assignment, I needed wisdom, I needed wisdom in choosing the topic that was best for me. And I needed wisdom when to start and where to start. And even with the boundaries provided by the assignment sheet, that task was overwhelming. Now, I knew that I was going to be held accountable for following the rules. I had no choice. If I wanted to pass, it would be 40 a 40-page paper with no fewer than 12 sources and turned in on time. But I also knew that I would ultimately be held accountable for my choices where I had freedom. I needed wisdom if I was going to succeed because some of the most important elements of that paper were not prescribed. Some of my questions were not answered by the rules. So... I had freedom, and I knew that with that freedom came immense responsibility. Now, when writing that paper, I could have made really good choices. I could have started early, worked consistently, identified good sources, created compelling content, or I could have made really poor choices, like putting it off until the last minute. That would have been a really poor choice. To do that would have been extremely short-sighted or even dumb. I mean, let's just call it what it is. But here's the question. Would it have been immoral? Would it have been immoral for me to put it off to the last minute? No. That's the thing we have to understand when wisdom is called for. Biblically speaking, we have the freedom to make choices. And while God exhorts us to seek and apply wisdom in our decision making, simply because it is necessary for human flourishing, 
we are actually free to make decisions that fall short of wisdom. And that doesn't make those decisions sin. Crazy? Yeah. Short-sighted? No question. Sin? Not necessarily. Paul wrote in Romans 4.15, where there is no law, there is no transgression. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. We are truly free in the absence of specific laws. We are free to make decisions for ourselves. And in those spaces, that, those gray areas, wisdom is called for. God's wisdom is called for. And when I first started driving, my mom used to say the same thing to me every time I left the house to get in the car. You know, truth be told, anytime she's around or on the phone and I get in the car, she still says the same thing. I'm 51. But here's what she says. Be careful. Sometimes she even says, Christopher, be careful. Now, what does she mean by that? She doesn't mean that she expects me to drive within the rules of the road, although she does. But in essence, she's expecting me to exercise wisdom while I drive. That's the most important thing. If you have a license and insurance and you follow the rules, you're pretty much free to drive exactly how you want. You can drive with one hand on the wheel like a cool guy, or you can drive with two. You can drive slow in the fast lane. You can be a late breaker and a rubbernecker. You can put your makeup on, eat your breakfast, and talk on the phone while you're taking your kids to school if that's what you choose to do. Is it illegal? No. Is it wise? Probably not. Probably not. But just because there's no law against it doesn't mean it's okay. And it certainly doesn't mean it's the wise thing to do. As a matter of fact, when there is no law against it, and when you are totally free to choose, wisdom is what's called for. When you are free to choose, it is wisdom that God's word exhorts us to choose. Now, the Apostle Paul said essentially the same thing to the Ephesian Christians that my mom says to me when I get in the car. I want you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading in verse 15. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. He says, be very careful then how you live. Be very careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And when we read that passage of Scripture, if we know anything about the Apostle Paul, what is remarkable here is what he does not say. Paul was a Pharisee. 
Paul spent his life, his entire adult life, after he was educated, more than most, he spent his entire adult life teaching people about the rules of God, instructing them to be diligent in keeping all the rules. But instead of instructing them in rule following, Paul says, look, there's one thing I want you to be careful about. There's one thing that should rise above all else. You should be careful to live with wisdom. Why? Well, there are two reasons. First, most of them were aware of the laws of God, and they knew the importance of staying in the boundary. Anybody who fears God knows we're supposed to follow the rules of God. But there's a second reason. He knew that Jesus had actually raised the bar rather than lowering it. He knew that Jesus had actually raised the bar in the expectations about how we would live rather than lowering it. His followers weren't supposed to live asking the question, is this legal? And can I get away with this? I know I'm really close to the line, but is this legal? That's not the way we're supposed to live our lives. We're supposed to live our lives asking the question, is this beneficial? Not is it legal? Is it beneficial? Will my decision benefit me? Will it benefit those I'm called to serve? And will it benefit God's kingdom come agenda? That's the question we're supposed to ask. It's the difference between the good life, which can be lived right on the edge, and the great life, which is lived by God's wisdom. So Paul says, hey, look, be very careful how you live. To state it in the negative, he he would say, don't be careless. Don't be in a hurry. Don't make decisions in an emotional fog. Be careful so that you use your freedom responsibly. Freedom is a gift to whom much is given, much is required. Use your freedom responsibly by choosing wisdom. Then he uses the word. Not as unwise, but as wise. Not as unwise, but as wise. That's the standard. That's the yardstick by which we assess every decision God has given us the freedom to make. Is this wise? What? It's the maturity question. What is the wise thing to do. You ever ask yourself that question? What is the wise thing to do here? I'm free. I can make the choice. I know I'm living in the boundaries of God's will, his defined law. What's wise here? Paul's not finished, though. He gives us insight into the reason the wise choice is always the right choice. He says, making the most of every opportunity. Live not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. What what does that mean exactly? The Greek word that is used there literally means redeeming or ransoming 
the time. It literally means to redeem or ransom the time. Why, why does he say we need to redeem the time to make the most of every opportunity? Well, think about the times that you knew you weren't making the wise choice. Have you ever found yourself wishing that you could go back and somehow reclaim all the time that you wasted picking up the pieces from the poor decision you made? Go back to driving safely, being careful. Have you ever made a foolish choice while you were driving and ended up in an accident? What happens? That you were probably in a hurry, and the time spent at the scene of that accident, that's a waste. It's a lot of time. And, and, and then, on top of that, there are calls to the insurance company. There's time spent getting, getting a rental car. And then if you need a new car, getting one of those takes a very long time as well. When we make unwise decisions with our finances, it takes time to make up lost ground. When we make unwise decisions relationally, it takes time to rebuild trust. Foolish decisions always cost us time. It's not redeeming the time, it's wasting the time. And not only do we wish we could go back in time and make a different choice, but, but we can just imagine how we could have invested all of that time differently in productive, healthy, life-giving activities. So Paul says, look, look, from this moment forward, ask yourself what wisdom calls for so you can make the most of the time you are given. Wisdom takes the time that God has allotted to our days and invests it for great causes. So, Paul says, from this moment forward, ask yourself what wisdom calls for. Make wise use of your time. In this way, he is actually echoing a prayer that Moses prayed in Psalm 90:12. He wrote, teach us to number our days aright. Teach us to number our days correctly so we may gain a heart of wisdom. He is teaching us to leverage our most important asset, time. We are to leverage it in a way that propels us toward our preferred future. He's saying, look, be careful with your time. Use it wisely and you will avoid all of the regrets that waste it. And then Paul closes with the obvious. We need to make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The days are evil. What does he mean by that? <clears throat> the Bible uses the word world frequently. In, in our context, we usually talk about culture. What Paul is saying is the world, the culture, is not morally neutral. Theirs wasn't and ours isn't. The world encourages us to look out for number one, to do whatever makes us happy right now, 
to satisfy all of our appetites and our cravings. Culture has always taught us that the good life is the life of self-indulgence. And by the way, you shouldn't be happy if you can't indulge yourself, if you don't have enough. Then, then selfish ambition arises and you go out and get enough so that you can make yourself happy. Happiness comes on the other side of self-indulgence. But Paul says that's evil. Really? Yeah, this is what Paul calls evil. Why? Because from God's perspective, the good life is not a life of self-indulgence, but a life of self-sacrifice. The good life serves, it gives, it blesses. And since we have a finite amount of time to live, then we need to redeem the time by making wise choices to advance God's kingdom come agenda rather than to build our kingdom. Look, you're free to make decisions about what you do with your money, about what you do with your time. But Paul says, listen, if you want to live the good life that God called you to live, then you must choose wisdom. Wisdom that is counter to the wisdom of this age, which is evil. We have the freedom to choose what we do. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we have the responsibility to choose the wise thing to do. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. Now, back to the original question. How does your life help guide you to this wisdom? We're supposed to let our life speak. What, what is our life going to tell us to help us discover wisdom? What does it have to say? Our lives speak from the perspective of the past and the future, of experiences and hopes. Now, you've, you've heard this said probably a million times. Experience is life's greatest what? Teacher. Right? When it comes to helping us exercise our wisdom, we just need to look back and learn from the lessons we have learned in the past. Right? Failures are only fatal if we refuse to learn from them, if we refuse to harvest the wisdom that our past experiences bear. So your life is crying out, don't do this again, please don't do this again. Bite your tongue, walk away, make a different choice, put your credit card in your pocket, do something different. We've been here before. That's your life speaking to you. Let's don't waste our time. Make a different choice. We consult our lives so that we remember the lessons we've learned from our experiences, but we should also consult our lives and Consider our hopes and dreams. Knowing where we want to go, where God created us to go, can prevent us from making foolish choices that sabotage our arrival. See, when, when we choose wisdom inside the boundaries of God's law, 
then we experience the abundant life that Jesus came to establish. Sometimes we think what we want is accessible only by a shortcut. I do it quickly. Do it my way. I know the best way. God's way is cumbersome. And, you know, there's a lot of twists and turns. I, I, I know how to do this. But what Scripture teaches us is that the life you've always wanted to live comes on the other side of wisdom. Remember the passage of Scripture that J.P. read earlier today? It's Proverbs 3, verses 13 through 18. Listen to these words. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. You know what God's saying there? Look, you focus on my kingdom and my righteousness, and here's what I will add to you if you choose to live by wisdom. It is everything you want, and you're not getting it by taking a shortcut. It's not the byproduct of self-indulgence. It is the byproduct of self-sacrifice that chooses to live and ser- live for God and serve others. When Paul wrapped up that, those verses to the Ephesians in Ephesians 5.17, he, he says, listen, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. What is the Lord's will? It's fruitful abundance that brings joy to you and others and expands the kingdom of God. You know, when we experience that, when we're living in wisdom, when we understand that what God has called us to do, it's not just live right by the rules. That's not it. The question is not, is this legal or illegal? The question is, is this beneficial? Our lives are blessed when we keep with His vision with His will, with His wisdom. And when we live in that wisdom, then we have positioned ourselves perfectly to do exactly what He called us to do, to be exactly who He created us to be. That's why when we're faced with a decision, this is the question we ask. What is the wise thing to do? God, if you were in my place, what would you do? What decision can I make right now that's going to protect God's vision for his kingdom and his vision for the abundant life he created me to live? Now remember, the world would say, whoa, that's self-indulgence. Pursue your own happiness. 
No, 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 no. God's up there going, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Choose wisdom. Self-sacrifice. And service. When faced with a decision, ask the question, what is the wise thing to do? Maybe you aren't a follower of Jesus Christ. And you're at a place, you know what, I, I need to figure this out. Did Jesus, is he the, can I give my life to him? Did he, did he really live a perfect life down on the cross? And, and then was he raised from the dead? And, and there, there's just a, pl- a time in your journey where you have to make a faith choice. To, to trust what God has done for you, the vision that God has for your life, rather than your own. What's the wise thing to do? Trust your creator. Jesus came to give us life eternal and life abundant. And if you have the courage to be honest, you could probably look back at some of the decisions you've made and think, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm working against myself here. Because you're not always, we're not always making the wise choice. So if you're not a believer, what's the wise thing to do? It is to trust your creator who loved you enough to die for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, for those of us who believe, who are committed, who we've said yes to God and we know that we're to live life within the boundaries. Let, let's make it a priority to seek God's wisdom for all of our decisions. When faced with a decision that impacts not only us, but those around us, let's ask the question, the maturity question, what is the wise thing? Let's bow our heads. Father, we are so grateful for the fact that your word and its clear commands give boundaries to live within. And then, Father, as, as a wise and loving God, you also give us freedom to make choices. And we want to make wise choices. So, Father, help us to remember that you say, if any of you lacks wisdom, he can ask me. I'm going to give it generously without finding fault. Lord, we we want your wisdom, so give it to us. And then give us the courage to apply it. Lord, if there are those in this room or with us online today that aren't followers of Jesus, I pray that today they would make the wise choice to trust him. To trust the good news of the gospel. Here's the good news. Jesus stepped out of eternity and into time. He lived a perfect life that ended 
with the cruel, unjust death of the cross. He was buried. Three days later, he was raised from the dead. Why did he do that? Because he loved you. And he loved me. And he wants us to be able to connect with our creator. So if you haven't come to the place where you have trusted that story, make the wise choice and trust your creator God who loved you enough to die for you. And then you'll be a child of the king. And his spirit will come into and give you the capacity to make the wise choices he calls us to make. Lord, we are so thankful for wisdom. Help us to live victoriously in the wisdom you provide through your word. It's in the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.